0: Book, and so so first we want to go through our memory verse, and one of the one of the encouragements for you, I don't know how it works for you. Every one of us has a mind that works differently, but the best way to I find to memorize something is to not try to memorize it, <laughs> which is just to like read it. Like if you just read the same passage, like this passage, I bet if every one of us read it twice a day, it would take you like a you know what's it going to take us here twenty seconds. Uh, if you read it twice a day this whole next week, we could probably all say it without looking at it. It's amazing how like, you just read something repetitiously in your mind, and it just kind of solidifies in your mind. Now, I don't know, if you, maybe your mind doesn't work that way, but that's the way my mind works. A lot of the passages I have memorized in my head are just stuff that I've looked at over and over. So, let's say it together, and then they're going to put another slide up here, and I, I'm just going to fool this. I don't have this memorized either. So, we're going to we're going to try it together all right so let's do this part together and then there's going to be a slide without any with a lot of blanks all right here we go now to him who is able from stumbling and before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only So you got it? Piece of cake, right? Okay, so let's, let's see the next slide here. All right, we'll see, we'll see if you got it. I'm shutting my mic off just so you know. I'll start this thing out, but I'm just saying. All right, here we go. Now to him... Who of the room kind of has it. I, you know, I wasn't hearing a lot behind me over here. I'm just, just saying, (laughs) but don't worry. I was completely off. All right. So, (laughs) so, so by next week, let's totally blow Nick away. Let's have this baby down and let's just like, just wipe the screen off and we'll have it. So anyway, um, that's me included, right? So, all right. First Timothy chapter one, uh, is where we're going to be at today. Um, let me just, let me just, uh, or Titus, it's it's after Timothy, right? Right after Timothy, um, Titus is actually Paul writing to Titus, who uh, was sent by Paul to go to the churches in Crete and establish elders. So Paul went around, and the, and the and the apostles were going around uh, planting churches. That was they would go to towns, they would share the gospel with people, and there would be many who would come to Jesus. And as they came to faith in Jesus, then that meant they, they would have these churches that were gathering up, these groups of people that were gathering up and forming churches. And as that happened, uh, then Paul would then send people back to those churches and, uh, and to establish, kind of to help establish the church. And part of that was to Titus's job to go appoint elders in these churches, to help them establish leaders and shepherds for the church. Uh, because um, a church without a shepherd is is not good. A sheep without shepherd is not good. And so this is a very important uh, task. And you can see this all through the New Testament. And so this is why uh, Paul is writing to this, uh, this man T- Titus and encouraging him and giving him instruction on what to do. And so that's, that's where we're going to land today. But we're going to go to the end of the book and we're going to rel- wrestle with this. So let me just, let me just throw this question out. Uh, why do you do the things that you do? Like, why do you do stuff? Anything. What's your, what's your, uh, one what, what of the most significant wrestlings I think that we have or should have is motivation. What is your motivation behind doing the stuff that you do? What's your motivation, uh, when you're sitting at home, you've had a long day, and you plop down on the couch, and then your kids want to hang out, right? What's the motivation going on there, and you're like, leave me alone, right? Um, What's your motivation with your neighbors, with those you work with, with the things that you do? Um, why, why are you good to that person or not to this? Or What are those motivations internally in your life as we wrestle with why we do stuff? And that's really going to be one of the crucial questions today. I thought about this because it's really important to, for us as Christians to wrestle with what makes the stuff that we do somehow unique from the stuff that everybody else does. Because, because interestingly, uh, we could say, well, we care more. Really? <laughs> we, we take care of each other better than, than those who are outside the church take care of each other. Um, I find it interesting every day, and this question has been burning in my heart. There's actually a lot of good things that happen completely apart from Christianity. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ways that people care for each other, and they don't have any love for God whatsoever, and yet they take care of each other and serve each other, and when something goes wrong in their life, man, everybody rallies around just like we would with one another. So what is it? What is it that makes our caring for each other? What is it that makes what we do somehow unique? What is that? Um, and, and I, th- I think that's a question that we have to wrestle with because there's a lot of good things all around us, everywhere, right? You know this, right? You work in the world. <laughs> you see a lot of good things. Um, but what makes, what makes our service, what makes our caring, what makes our rallying around people somehow unique? Um, think about that question as we read this text and talk it through today. First Timothy chapter 3, you can stand with me as we read Titus, I, I'm. I, I keep saying that the whole time, right? Because yeah, so, you know, actually, just go with it, right? You know what I'm talking about. So, what I, <laughs> Titus, Titus, all right, Titus, chapter three, verse one. Uh, we stand because this is this is not my words, but it's God's words, and it comes to us inspired by His Spirit with full authority. He says, "Remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient." To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the removal uh, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, then have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Let's pray. Father, Would you just help our hearts to be encouraged and blessed? Uh, May you today uh, just encourage us and drill into us, God, the reason why we do the things that we do, the reason why we care, the reason why we serve, the reason why we live and breathe and have life in the first place. And God, uh, we just pray that your church today would be encouraged by this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that's really fascinated me, and this is no surprise to you because um, I keep telling Nick, I told him last week, that he keeps giving me these sermons that I just get to come and do whatever I want, and so I'm just going to keep doing these. And, uh, but um, one of the things that blows me away in Scripture is how many simply talks about the fact that God's people are supposed to be a people who do good works. Good works. And it doesn't always define those works, it just says do good, Right? Just go, so when you leave here today, your job this week is to do good. To show up wherever you're going to show up. In your home, at your workplace, with that annoying boss, with the really frustrating neighbor, and just do good. Right? Do good things. Um, But there's something unique about the fact of what we mean when we say by doing good. And we're going to find that out today. In fact, in this book, in Titus, not Timothy, in Titus, in this book, uh, something like six or seven times, we see Paul encouraging his believers here to do, in fact, he's telling Titus to go tell these new believers to go do good works. Uh, right before this passage, he, he says it uh, several times uh, before in chapter two, he says it a couple times, and in chapter three here, he's going to say it at least three to four times in that passage. And in fact, I love uh, right before this uh, passage in verse 11 of chapter 2, if you just look there for a minute, I love where he, he begins with this. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. There's, there's something transforming and powerful that has happened that transforms the reason why we do good works. There's something fueling this that's powerful. It's bigger than life. And, and so he says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all. Listen to what he says. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us and redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are... Zealous, that is a powerful word, zealous to do good works. Zealous, like the word zealous in Greek is a word that is, it's like the most powerful or the most passionate kind of word you could give to something. If you are zealous for something, that means you are really passionate about this thing. And I find it interesting that as a result of the grace of God appearing in Christ, The end result of that is that we are to then be fueled with this grace, and it is to make us zealous to go and do good works. And Paul's just going to hit on this over and over and over again. And he, in fact, tells Titus in verse 15 of chapter 2, declare these things. Like, this is what you proclaim. Declare this stuff to the, to the mountaintops. Declare these things, exhort, which means to encourage strongly, and rebuke with all authority, not our authority, but God's authority. We don't have authority. God's the one who gives authority. It's His authority. He says, and let no one disregard you. Let no one, no, let no one toss you aside, but, but encourage people to do these things. In fact, then, we get to verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, then remind them of these things. So, He's, he's just like giving Titus, here's what I want you to go tell the churches as you're establishing leaders in these churches. This is what I want to, you to remind them of. And so first of all, uh, Hannah, she's helping my wife today, but we were joking about my points today. Uh, who do you do good to? You could, if you've got to say these things five times really fast. Who do, who do we do good to? Why do we do good to them, and how do we do good to them? You say that really fast. Who do we do good, why do we do good, how do we do good to them? It Really fast. It actually sounds really funny. So Hannah and I figured out something cool. So for the, for the younger people in the room, you can work on that uh, throughout the message here. But, uh, but we see in verses 1 and 2, and really our, the, the second point, why do we do good to people, is really the place we're going to land today. But, but, but first of all, uh, Paul is reminding Titus to tell the churches, here's the people that you should do good to, right? He says, first of all, remind them to be submissive. There's a word that we all love, right? We always love that word when we're referring to somebody else submitting to something else, right? We don't like that word when it refers to me, right? But Paul is telling Titus to remind all the Christians to be submissive to rulers and authorities, um, and we won't dwell on this, but I think, because we, I've talked about this in the past, but I think, I, I want you to note, though, that the place and the rulers and the authorities in Paul's day were probably, arguably, way worse than any rulers and authorities that you and I have ever experienced in our life, just so you know. And Paul's telling them to be submissive to the rulers and to the authorities, right? Right? So far as, we know this, I'll just qualify this, we're not going to preach a sermon on this, but it's a whole sermon. So far as those rulers are not asking you to do stuff that's against our God, right? That will cause us to disobey God, right? And we know that Paul also says, we obey God, or Peter said, we obey God rather than men. So, but so far as they are not asking us to, do, to go against our God, we are to be submissive and to, and, and to our rulers and to our authorities. To be obedient, uh, to be ready, again, here it is, ready for every good work. So he says, so the first group we're supposed to be uh, do good to is to rulers and authorities. Uh, do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Not just, not, I'm not talking about just like from president in Washington, D.C. We're not connected to them. But you have people who are over you in your jobs. You have people, you have a chain of command somewhere, right? Uh, do good to those people who are in leadership positions. Do good to them. Uh, do good works. He says, he says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all. So, the second group of people is everybody. <laughs> so we got the rulers and the authorities, and basically he's saying everybody else, all right? And he's saying how we're to be towards everybody else is so speak evil of no one, meaning don't slander people. And, and, and you know how hard this is. Like I'm, it, it, We could say these things, and I know we've, I've spoke on these from the past, so I don't want to dwell on it. But these things are not easy, right? These are not easy. This takes the Spirit of God in you for you to not slander people that you are really upset with. For you to not tear people down, people who are against everything that you think or believe, people who are maybe intentionally undermining you. It is everything in you through the power of the Spirit of God to cause you, instead of slandering them, to love them, right? That's just, that's just reality. That's not easy for any one of us, and it's not intended to be. This is why we need God. This is why we need this, what, what we're going to get to next, the why, This is why we need the Spirit of God in our lives. And so he says, don't slander people, avoid quarreling. Uh, In other words, be peaceable. Be a peaceable person. We see this in other passages. Just be a person who's peaceable. Uh, I was teaching at our uh, recruit academy on Friday afternoon, and I got to teach on conflict resolution uh, to our young uh, fire, firefighter recruits. And so I got to spend like four hours with them teaching. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we talked about conflict resolution. And I told them that the moment, the moment your temperature starts to rise in any conversation whatsoever, stop talking. Right? Right? Because even physiologically, we know that the moment, the moment your, your body starts to get tense and you start to get mad, you you're literally have just removed, like the frontal cortex of your brain is the place where you use, is the thinking part of your brain, right? And you basically then remove, you move around to the backside of your brain, which is all emotion and passion, right? And you stop thinking and you only have emotion And nothing ever gets resolved and nothing good ever happens once that happens, right? Uh, You tracking with me? So husbands and wives, the moment you're mad, stop. Take a time out. Uh, With your kids, the moment you get mad, stop. Because nothing good will ever, nothing gets resolved when you're ticked off, right? That's just the way it is. And so that's basically what he's saying. He's saying, avoid quarreling. Stop. Don't be an argumentative person. Be a peaceable person. And when you know something is really going to get to you, that's probably the time where you shouldn't talk. You should stop. He says, be gentle. kind of goes along with avoiding quarreling. Be, be gentle with everyone. Um, I love this where he says, show perfect courtesy. <laughs> that's amazing. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. Like that's, what is what does that mean? So basically, the word courtesy means to be considerate. To be considerate. Simple, but not so simple, right? Just be considerate of everyone. Um, I think that's pretty powerful. So that's what he says. So two, two groups of people, which is everybody and the rulers and authorities, these are the people that we're supposed to do good to, which is everybody around us, including us. But here's the thing that really matters. Um, I I've, found, I've felt really blessed uh, these last nine months to, to work where I work. And, and, uh, but what I notice is that a lot of people can actually do that. In fact, I know a lot of people who don't love God at all who are actually better at this sometimes than we are, than I am. I know. And, and so I, I find myself constantly going like, so whew, people do this all, over, all around us. You can be courteous, you can be gentle, you can avoid quarreling, you can be a peaceable person and not have God in your life at all, right? You know people, you have friends, like, they're amazing people, and you love them, and they love you, and they care for you, right? And, and yet they don't have God in their life, and so what is it, what is it that makes a true difference in us? Like, what is it that somehow distinguishes us? If If people can do this to some degree, as well as us, what is it that sets us apart? And this is what, this is what, Paul is going to remind Titus of is the why. Why you do something matters. Your motivation makes a significant difference. And in fact, it makes an eternal difference. You could be the best, most caring and loving person in the world and yet not know God and therefore face judgment, right? We talked about that last week. It's a serious matter. And so motivation, the why, makes all the difference. It makes an eternal difference. And this is what Paul is going to turn to in verse 3. He says, for, and I love this, he says, for, he's basically going to give us a before Christ and an after Christ. This is the testimony of every one of us right here. He's going to say, so for, or because, or we ourselves, all of us, he could say this of every person, we were once foolish people, all of us, right? we we were foolish people we were disobedient people we were led astray by various uh, we were led astray we were slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice which is intending to do harm we were envious we were hated by other people and we hated other people to some degree right this is this is characterizes in some of that form he's saying outside of jesus this is the reality uh, this is who we are. But even as those people, we, we could do some pretty cool stuff, right? Some pretty good stuff. But, but there's, there's a major difference here. And so he's saying, This is who we were. This is who everyone outside of Christ are. We are those who are led astray by all these passions. We're slaves to these things. And we're just passing our days in, in sort of whateverness. And, and then he says, but, but here's the difference. Here's the why. Here's what matters. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. You see, this makes all the difference right here. Paul's saying, but when God, when his goodness and his loving kindness appeared, he saved us. This is what happened to your life when you trusted Christ. I don't care if you were three or you were 33 or you're 103. The goodness and loving kindness of God has shown up in your life, descended upon you, and it changed everything. It changed the why behind your life. It totally transformed everything that you do. It is continually, in fact, transforming even internally the reasons why your motivations. And so he's saying to them, when the, when the loving kindness, goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, and he didn't save us, he didn't save us because of the works done by us in righteousness. In other words, he didn't save us, he didn't look down the corridors of time and look at Chris Gorman's life and go, man, that guy is going to be a pretty good dude someday, I think I'll give him a shot. No, he looked at me as I was, a hater of people, filled with malice and envy and strife, carried away by my passions, by pleasures. He saw me as someone who was sinful, right? In fact, the Bible says that I was God's enemy, right? That while I was still an enemy, that's when Christ died for me. So I was actually an enemy of God. He saw me as such. And even though, even though that's what characterized our lives. It says His goodness and His loving kindness appears to us. And it's out of His kindness that He saves us. Not because of anything in us, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. I love this passage. In verse, basically, in verse 3, what we see is the need. Why do you need to be saved? And the need is, is because, in fact, um, yesterday, even when we were talking about this at the funeral, the reality is every one of our experiences here, we know this intuitively, every person on this planet, I, I, I rarely find someone who really thinks that they have every single detail of their life put together, you know, they may think they're pretty good, but that's typically the way we say it, I'm a pretty good person, no one says, I'm 100% perfect, man. I got this baby licked. I don't do wrong ever. That person's not married, right? Because <laughs> they don't have someone who's honest, right? <laughs> they don't have very good friends, and they're not married, right? All right? So we all know intuitively that something's wrong. Something is broken. We feel it. We experience it. We know. We react wrong to things. We we. Our lid blows every once in a while, or we, we don't handle this situation. We, our thoughts are really bad here, and we, we, we are hated sometimes by other people, and we actually hate other people. And you can say, I'm not a hateful person. Is there anybody you don't like? Is there anybody you've ever wished ill upon? I would like to say no, but that wouldn't be true. And so, first of all, he reveals the need. The need is because of our sin, but then he reveals the origin of our salvation. He saved us, not because of works done by us, but He, he saved us in verse 4. Uh, he says in verse 4, but it, it's because of the goodness and the loving kindness of God. It's because He's a gracious and a good and loving God. In fact, I love uh, one of my favorite texts, and it's, it's often misunderstood, so we don't have time to go, but, but in, in Romans chapter 2, where they were presuming upon God's kindness, and and Paul has to remind them the purpose of God's kindness is not so that you could just live a life of whatever. It's not that God says, I'm so gracious and kind, so therefore do whatever you want. That's not what he's doing. But it says his kindness is intended to be that which leads us towards repentance. Because we know intuitively and experientially that something is not right, that we are at odds with the God who created us. We know this. We experience this. And so, so he's saying that God's kindness to us sinners who deserve nothing, his kindness is actually meant to draw us to himself, to lead us to be a place, to a place of repentance of sin, not licentiousness, right? It's to cause us to go, man, I woe is me. Right? This is many times in Scripture. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's what it means to be saved, right? That's the beginning of salvation where we come to realize, like, woe is me. Who am I that I should deserve to even have a a, a gaze of a holy God my way? Who am I? And so the the foundation of our salvation has nothing to do with us ultimately. It has everything to do with God's loving kindness poured out towards us undeserving sinners. And the grounds of that or the foundation of it in verse 5 at the beginning there. Look at verse 5. It says, He saved us not because of works done by us but according to His own mercy. I love that word, mercy. It's the idea that you don't get what you do deserve. I love mercy. Don't you? Every one of us should love mercy, right? (laughs) You don't get what you 100% deserve. And the Bible simply teaches us that we, we don't deserve anything from God, and yet he has graciously given us life. He is gracious by His loving kindness. So the, the foundation or the grounds of our salvation is simply His mercy, and it's shown powerfully in the cross itself. We see the mercy of God in the cross, where we deserve what the only sinless person who's ever walked this earth actually takes upon Himself. We deserve that, and yet God has graciously taken that sin upon Himself in His Son, Right? He's taken what we deserved. He's absorbed the wrath of God for us. And therefore, we will not, as believers, experience that. We won't get what we deserve. We'll get the opposite. And then he says the means of our salvation. Uh, is next in verse 5, uh, the last part of verse 5 all the way through verse 7. Here's the means, here's the way in which we're saved. This is the means that God uses to save us. He says, By the washing of regeneration, regeneration means to be completely transformed. Salvation is a transformational thing that happens in our lives. So we're, it's, it's, Our need is because of sin, Uh, it's because of the loving kindness of God, it's not based on anything in us, it's the mercy of God, and the way that God does that is He completely transforms and changes us completely uh, by, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, this is a work of God's Spirit in you, and it says that He's poured out that Spirit on us richly. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So he's poured that Spirit. And it says, so that being justified, again, by his grace, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. Which gets to the next point. And so the means of that is through regeneration, the Holy Spirit, and through the work of Christ on the cross by his grace. in justifying us, giving us a whole new standing in this world a whole new standing with our God. That we were once enemies, but now friends. That we were once at odds. We were one, once outside the family, but now we've been brought near. We've been adopted into the family. We've been given a whole new standing. We've been made right in the sight of a holy God. And this is according to the work of Christ. The goal of that is that we would be heirs. So the goal of our salvation is that we would be heirs, meaning we get everything. God richly is going to give us all things, right? We're going to to have an inheritance, as the scriptures say, that we're going to inherit all that he has, he gives to us. Isn't that beautiful? So the, the end game is that we would inherit, ultimately, eternal life, it says. That we would inherit eternal life. I got to share yesterday uh, with a room full of my firefighters um, what true love is ultimately about. And true love, and you've heard me probably say this, but as a reminder, true love is where you give to someone that which will satisfy their life and, and maximize their joy, not for five minutes or five days or five years or 500 years, but for all of eternity at whatever cost to yourself. This is what God has done for us in saving us. He has sought to give us that which will satisfy and maximize our joy for eternity. And he has done that at the highest cost. He paid everything. He paid the highest price for that. That's what true love is. That's what it means to love your neighbor. You want, if you love your neighbor, ultimate love would be, I want to give to them that which will satisfy them forever. I want to give them Jesus right? And the goal of that is that they would have eternal life. And then the evidence of that in verse 8, the evidence of, of that reality that's happened to me, the, the fact that I've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, I've, I've been justified by grace, the evidence of that in verse 8 is, he um, says, this saying is trustworthy, and true, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So the way, the the reason why we do the good works is because of the work that God has done in us. It's because of his loving kindness and his goodness to us. It's because of the gospel, right? It's because he has transformed us and he has changed us. He has shown us, sinners, Such unbelievable kindness and goodness that then we are, and this only makes sense, right? Then we are to turn around and to go do that to other people. Be that picture, right? We're to show forth the goodness of our Creator, We're to treat them the way we've been treated, to show that loving kindness. This is why he says we need to be considerate and courteous to all people. We need to be gentle. We need to avoid quarreling, right? Because God didn't come down and have an argument with us. He loved us right where we were at. Sinners who deserved nothing good from Him. And yet He loved us right there. Right? Isn't that amazing? And so then he calls us to then go do good works. So those good works are characterized by how God has treated us in saving us, right? That's, that's the why. Why do we do good works? Because look at what God has done to us. We do these good works because we can't help ourselves. That's what ultimately we want it to be. We can't help ourselves to be good to people because our God has been so good to us. And so we go and we do these good works. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. (laughs) I don't know about you. I want to have a profitable life. I think I'll do that, right? (laughs) Because our God is good. So why do we do these things? It's because of God's incredible grace. I want to just notice a couple things in here. I think it's interesting that in this passage, talking about how God has saved us, that we see the Trinity in this text. You notice that that you're coming to know God, to have a relationship with God, being adopted into His family, that that process, that whole whole process of Him drawing you in, calling you out, right, that that it is the work of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, the greatest mystery of all of Scripture and in all the world. If if you can get your mind wrapped around that, uh, then you should write a book, right? It it is a hard thing to comprehend, and yet it is a beautiful thing to behold. And here we see in Scripture, we see in verse 4, we see the Father's work in salvation. We see in verse 6, the Son. We see in verse 5, the Spirit. That the Father, in fact, uh, Ephesians 1 is probably the greatest text where it talks of our salvation. It says that the the Father sends the Son, right? So the Father is the one who sends the Son. The Son accomplishes the work of our salvation, and the Spirit applies that work to your life. That's, that's the whole first chapter of Ephesians chapter 1, the work of the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit in order for you and I to be invited and adopted into a family to have the best of all possible worlds, to be able to live life in Christ, representing the greatest king ever. But I also want you to note this, um, there's three tenses to our salvation in this text, three tenses, there's past, present, and future. Uh, this is an important thing for us to to think about so we see in this passage that we have been justified by faith or by grace right so justification for those who have have trusted in Christ you've already you've been called by the spirit and you have you've responded to the work of Christ on the cross and you've you've believed you put your faith in him and you have been justified by faith or by grace in this passage in Romans 5, it's justified by faith, by trusting God. That justification here is a past tense thing. This is what's happened to you in the past. You have been justified. One of the, one of the fallacies in, uh, one, of the, one of the, I shouldn't say fallacies, but one of the dangers that happened in the Reformation is that, uh, the Reformation was a good thing by the way, but one of the dangers of it is that we elevated one doctrine as the most important thing, which is justification by faith. And we made that the only picture of salvation, like that's all that matters, just, just trust in Christ, be justified by faith. But the reality is salvation, life in Christ is much bigger than just that one thing. It's more than that. And so we see here that, that we've been justified, that's a past tense thing, but the present tense thing is that, in fact, we saw that in chapter 2, verses 11 uh, and following, we saw that the sanctification, that is our growth, right, the transforming work, we have been justified, we've been made right with God, and now... The work of the Spirit is constantly working work in us, continuing to make us more and more and more like Christ, that we would continue to do good works, that we would continue to represent Christ well in this earth, becoming more like Him. And so sanctification is a present tense thing. This is what is happening to you if, in fact, you are in Christ today. You are being sanctified. You are continually growing, and you have never arrived. Ever. The day that you arrive will be one day tiny millisecond after you pass from this life into the next. And then you'll be like, I'm here. I get all of Jesus now, right? Here we see dimly in a mirror, but there, all of him, right? right? I don't need faith in heaven, right? I don't need faith. Once I die, I don't need faith anymore because I have him. Like I see him with my eyes, right? And that, that, that's what 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about. And so the reality is that sanctification is happening to all of us. We are all a work in progress. We are all graciously, by the work of the Spirit, growing in our faith day by day, by degree by degree, as Paul says it. And then the second part of this, the heirs, is the glorification, the future tense. So we have been saved, justified, made right with God through the work of Christ on the cross. We have been saved. We are continually being, growing in that salvation, right? Right? And we will one day have all of it, which is the inheritance, the glorification. So in one sense, you could say it, this this confuses people, but we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be fully saved, right? And this is all the work of God in us. And as that's happening, He's transforming us, and why is He doing all of this according to our text? So that we will be zealous to do good works, He has done this work in us that we would look more and more like his son, and we would just go out and do good to people because of how good he has been to us. Lastly, how are we supposed to do these good works? (laughs) So there's the why. It's because he has saved us by grace, according to his mercy, um, through the power of his spirit. But how then do we go out and do good works? Verse 9, don't be controversial. He says, avoid foolish controversies. I love this. Just avoid that. Just don't do it. Um, <laughs> you have to imagine, right, Paul's writing this to real stuff. So this is the stuff going on in the world at that time, in, in the churches, amongst the people. There's obviously these controversies going on, Right? We don't know anything about that in our day. There's nothing controversial that's happened in the last, you know, few years, right, at all. Um, but Paul says, avoid these things. If, you, if you're going to do good to people in the name of Jesus, the, the how, how you do that is then don't be like the rest of the world, right? Avoid these foolish arguments. Um, again... I don't know about you, I've never argued someone into the kingdom of God. Not one time. I've had lots of arguments. I've never once had a person go, oh man, that's so convincing. T- tell me where I sign up, you know, and, and just repent of their sins right in front of me, and it's, it's the deal, right? Um, but I've had lots of people whom you love and care for and show kindness to, even though there's everything in you that just wants to like pull the rest of your hair out, Right? And have them because of, right, if, if it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, then maybe it's our kindness, not our argumentativeness, that leads others to him, right, as well, right? Our, our how is to be in the same manner with which God saved us, right? And so he says avoid foolish controversies. Avoid genealogies. This is interesting. Um, I was looking this up. Uh, what does he mean by genealogies? like, don't do genealogical work. That's not what he's saying. Uh, not, it's not, but in, in those days, uh, in fact, in Paul's day and shortly after Paul, uh, you've probably heard of lots of these controversies. There's these books that show up. Uh, there's these letters, in fact, that show up and people are going, well, this, this isn't in the Bible. Why, why isn't this, uh, you know, the, the epistle of Barnabas? Why is it not in there? Um, there's other books that showed up long after Paul was dead and Peter was dead that would have their names on these books, right? And people would say, well, this must be authentic because Peter wrote this, right? Only to find out that somebody wrote it and they put Peter's name on there and they did that to up the credibility. It's like the ultimate name drop in the name of God, right? Uh, I know we don't have any struggles with that. But but basically, the Jews were really good at this as well. If you were tied to certain ancestry, then you, you elevated your status, right? And so there was all these arguments. Well, I'm, I'm more important than you. I should have a little more clout on the council because my father, you know, my father was such and such and so and so. Like there was these... these one-upping each other, name-dropping, trying to, trying to have these, these t- sort of ways in which they would elevate their status or their authority or their, uh, you know, their, their uh, talents or whatever. And Paul says, avoid these things. This is ridiculous. Um, we don't do that kind of thing today, but we do name-drop, right? We love to be like, oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah, you went to that conference. Yeah, been in his house. You know, like we, we love those kinds of things, Right? He's saying, don't do that in order to puff yourself up. He's saying, avoid these things. Avoid dissensions. Uh, In other words, avoid divisiveness. Avoid these things. Avoid quarrels about the law. This was a big deal in the church, right? Because you have these churches that are mixed with Jewish and Gentile Christians and there was, a, there was a ton of controversy. What are, we, what are we supposed to do and not do now? Like, how, how do we, the, the Gentiles aren't doing the other stuff that we've been doing all this time. And, and the Gentiles are going, what are these guys doing this stuff for? And we don't need that. You know, and there's all this controversy. And Paul's, Paul's saying, avoid, avoid these things. Avoid quarrels about the law. In other words, look to Christ, what he just shared. He just shared the gospel and said, this is what we look to. He says, uh, for these things are unprofitable and they're worthless. Um, So every time you're tempted to do these things, these foolish controversies, uh, name dropping, uh, being divisive, quarreling about things, uh, just, just remind yourself of what Paul told Titus. He said, tell the churches this is unprofitable and it's worthless. Right? It does no good whatsoever. And so it's not worth it. What is worth it right, is to love people and to show people the grace of God and to share that love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? To show and to share the truth that we say every Sunday in the Apostles' Creed. This is what we believe. Right? This is what really matters. It's, it's not something we have to fight over. Um, he gives a pretty strong word. He says at the end of this um, if there's a person among you and this is their demeanor, he says, Warn this person. They're, storing up, they're stirring up division, meaning they're argumentative, fighting about genealogies, they're, they're divisive, they're quarreling about the law, any of those things. He says, Warn that person once and then warn them again. You need to be gracious. But then he says, have nothing to do with that person. Just stop chilling with that person at all. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, I think that's also a little bit of a, a, a warning to us. There's no spiritual gift of argumentation and controversy, right? There's no, uh, I, I know uh, I've met several people sometimes that will come to me and say, my job is to test you out and challenge you. I'm like, really? That's your job? I thought your job was to be my brother or my sister and love me and care for me and hope the best for me and pray for me. Right? That's what we're supposed to do for each other. We're not here to test each other out. We're not here to test your neighbor out, right? You're here to love them and to show them the grace of God. And when we become divisive, we become worthless. That's a powerful word, worthless. And so, why do we do these things? Because we have such a good God. God. And as we come to the end of our service, um, every week we get to be reminded of how good our God is. This is why we take communion. We take communion because God is so incredibly good to us. It reminds us of his mercy that we don't get what we deserve. It reminds us that he has taken the punishment that we deserve. That he has stood in our place so that we could have life and therefore we can go and share that life with every person that we see and touch. So, my challenge to all of us today is because of the mercy and loving, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior that has saved us, go and be zealous to do good works. Just show up and do good to people in the name of Jesus, no matter who they are. Right? Just show them God's grace. That's our job. God will do the rest. He He will cause people's lives to be transformed. This is what he does through us. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your loving kindness and for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you, um, even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies, you have loved us. You have given and paid the ultimate price so that we may have a relationship with you that we who were outside the family could be brought in and adopted as sons and daughters to be fully a part of the family and heirs to the inheritance someday. God, thank you for this grace that we do not deserve it, but you have graciously given it to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. And so even, Lord, as we share communion today, would you... Would you cause our hearts to be stirred up with affection and love for you? And may we go from here motivated by this grace that you have given to us to do good to everyone. In your name we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to.